Okay, friends, the story begins. We are on page 35 up to the uh, first full paragraph. Praise the Lord. This is the last. We're, we're not finished yet with the Pesuke de Zimra, the section of verses of praise. But as far as this section of verses of praise goes, this is the last of the book of Tehillim. We've been going through the last five chapters of the book of Tehillim, and this is literally the last, this is a cut and paste from the last chapter of the book of Tehillim, the book of praises, book of Psalms by King David. Let's quickly read through it. It's a short paragraph, and then we'll dive in. Praise the Lord, praise God in his holiness. Praise him in the firmament of his strength. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his abundant greatness. Praise him with the call of the shohar. Praise him with harp and lyre. Anybody know what a lyre is? Some sort of string. Some, somebody who doesn't tell the truth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, a, like a harp. Okay, some sort of, it's like a handheld harp, right? If, I, if I'm envisioning this correctly. Right, that's what the King David used to have. Praise him with timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flute. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with clanging cymbals. We'll discuss what the difference is. Let every being that has a soul praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let every being that has a soul praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, a lot of praising God with instruments. Instruments were an important part of praising God in the Beit HaMikdash. Every single day, the Levim, the Levites, would sing. And there was a group of choir masters. That's why there's, you'll see throughout Salem to the choir master. And there was a group of musicians. And there was actually an entire storage unit in the Beit HaMikdash. You know, the storage units for animals and for wood, for burning on the altar, and for spices for the instance. You had a storage unit of instruments. Because instruments were a very important part of service to God. Just as a side note. I read this today and I thought it was really interesting. The story of Purim, the book of Esther, starts off with the Jews going to the feast. Ahasuerus' feast, the king's feast. It's a feast that they shouldn't have been at. And it was a very lavish feast, lasted for, lasted for many, many days. And in great detail, we are uh, what's described is the food that was there and the ambience that was there and the decor that was there. But commentaries point out you don't see any description of the musical instruments. Ahasuerus thought that if there's a remote possibility that Jews are going to be inspired, spiritually inspired, don't want that to happen. So he made sure there was no musical instruments. We see from there that the power of music and the power of musical instruments, music could also lead somebody astray, but if it's if it's the wrong music, but the power of music, the potential does have the potential to take somebody to the deepest and most spiritual of places. And that's why in the Beit HaMikdash, singing was a big part of it. Musical instruments were also a big part of it. The Talmud Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud, points out that throughout the Torah, and I, I, I apologize, I don't know if it means the whole Bible or if it just means the book of Tehillim, not 100% sure. I didn't do enough research here. The Throughout the Torah, there are 127 hallelujah, 
this term of praise God, right? Hallelujah. This is a term that is used. You see over there in the English in Hebrew, Hallelujah, or Hallelujah, Hallelujah. You see that term Hallelujah. You see that term being used again and again and again. It comes from the Hebrew word Hallel, which means to praise. Like we say Hallel on Rosh Chodesh. Tonight's Rosh Chodesh. We're going to say Hallel. Hallel means praise. And the term Hallel is used 127 times. There was a rabbi in the Talmud whom counted. What's the significance of 127? <clears throat> the biblical character Aaron, the Kohen, the high priest, lived for 127 years. So when it says in this chapter, actually, praise the Lord, praise God in his holiness, that same term, in his holiness, is used in context of Aaron, the priest, the high Kohen, the Kohen Gadol. The 127 praises correspond to Aaron's life because he lived a life of praise. But here's the fascinating thing. What epitomizes Aaron was not his praise to God. What, what epitomizes Aaron? What do you think of when you think of Aaron? Peace between people. Like Pirkei Avos says, be a student of Aaron, love peace, pursue peace. We know that Aaron was the first marriage therapist. Bring couples back together, bring friends back together. In general, the concept of Cohen represents that of chesed, kindness, and love. The blessing that's recited prior to the priestly blessings that he's giving to people. He who blesses the nation of Israel with love. In fact, if a Cohen is holding a grudge, they're not even supposed to give the priestly blessings. Aaron is all about love between people. If a person is praising God but doesn't get along with people, there's a serious issue in their relationship with God. A relationship with God, a deep, meaningful relationship with God, needs to translate into a relationship with people. And if a person is at a point in their life where they appreciate how beautiful God is, how great God is, and they're willing to praise God, that has to translate into seeing how beautiful people are. The 127 praises correspond to Aaron. Aaron was all about relationships, positive relationships with people. Question? Yeah, what, what about Sarah? Didn't Sarah also live to 127? She, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Yes, she did. So I, I think that's where the, the term, so why did he choose Aaron as opposed to Sarah? It's a very good question. So that that that's where the term in his holiness which is used in other contexts to refer to Aaron. But good, good observation. But when we say it, Hallelujah appears 127 times, 127 times where in, in the Tehillim? So it, it the Talmud says in the Torah ambiguously. Um, I don't. I don't know if it means the five books of Moses, or it means exclusively Tehillim, or in general the twenty-four books of Tanakh. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm not hundred percent sure. Good. Good question. Good question. There's the story of. I've I've, I've said this story before, but I it's very um it's very, it's very relevant to our context here. Rabbi Shneer Zaman of Lehadi, the author of the Tanya, was praying on Yom Kippur, and he was known as a very passionate. Prayerer. Is that a word? Prayerer? Prayer? Is it prayer or prayerer? 
I don't think either are correct, but neither I don't of them. Okay, he would pray passionately. How about that? And it was known you'd see him pray. He was like on fire. So you can imagine what his prayers were like on Yom Kippur, right? The Holy of Holies, and he mysteriously slips off his talis and his kittel, leaves. Nobody knows what's going on. He comes back much later to ask him what happened. He said that there was a lady in the outskirts of town who had just given birth, and there was nobody there for whatever reason to take care of her. So he chopped firewood, and he cooked food for her. We don't usually chop firewood on Yom Kippur. We don't usually cook food on Yom Kippur. <laughs> it's, it's like a Shabbos. But that's what she needed to preserve her life. But he was sensitive and he, he was able to sense that during his prayers. In one of his talks in the 60s, the Rebbe pointed out that the Alter Rebbe didn't interrupt his prayers because he sensed that this lady needed help. The whole purpose of prayer is to be sensitive to somebody else's needs, sensitive to the soul. So that sensitivity wasn't an interruption of prayer, it was actually the goal of prayer. The whole praise of God has to ultimately translate into praise of people. A person who realizes how beautiful God is, they, if they really realize the beauty of God, they're going to realize how beautiful people are. They're going to see the beauty in people. Bizohar points out that there are 10 expressions of praise here. Can ten contexts of praise, depending on how you divide it up. Some commentaries point out that it's thirteen divided up differently. They each have their representations. Ten is a thirteen is a significant number. The thirteen attributes of mercy. Ten is a significant number in Judaism as well. There's the ten commandments. There's the ten sefiros. There's the ten. Uh, the uh, ways God express, uh, expresses himself with the ten various personality traits. Minion and the ten spies. Right, the ten spies, which are which correspond to the ten people of a minion. There's a lot to do in ten. But what this tells us is that there are varying situations in life where we need to praise God. And that's the deeper meaning behind this paragraph we got to praise god that has to translate into praising people but when do we need to praise god so the varying types of praise enumerated in this paragraph represent different life situations that we find ourselves in when we need to praise god some of them are intuitive some of them are counterintuitive but that's what God is. God is consistent. God is there all the time. God doesn't change. God isn't changing. So let's go through this paragraph one more time. I'm I'm gonna read it. If you don't mind, I'm gonna read it in Hebrew, and I'll translate it because it's it it's. Uh, I guess Hebrew is easier than English. Let's look at uh, thirty-five. The first line of this paragraph. See it? Hallelujah! Praise God! Praise the Lord! Hallelujah! Praise Kel, God, Bekadsho, in His holiness. What does praise God in His holiness mean? There's a variety of commentaries that uh, debate what the word holiness means. 
but some say it's referring to the Beit HaMikdash. In his place of holiness, in other words, in the Beit HaMikdash. Praise God in the Beit HaMikdash. Take yourself to a sacred space where God's presence is sensed so you can praise God there, so you can feel him. The next one, Hallelujah, praise him, Birkia Uzo, in his firmament of strength. Which basically means when you see how when you look up to the heavens and you see how vast and incredible and great God is, that's an opportune time to praise him. You look up and you see how even though he's beyond me, even though he seems greater than me. I'm going to praise him. Take a look at the next one. Line number two. Hallelujah. Praise him. Bigvurotav. What does Bigvurotav mean? Comes from the Hebrew word Gvura. In his strength. Gvura is discipline. Sometimes God is disciplining us. Take it, man. Take it with love. That's a very difficult statement to say. But when God is disciplining you, praise him. That's beautiful not fun but it's still a it's still a beautiful beautiful thing that's what the talmud says you got to praise god and thank god for the good just like we thank god and praise god for the bad but when something good happens we see baruch hashem when something bad happens especially if it's tragic we say baruch dayan emet blessed the true judge but we're blessing god we're praising god we're attributing it to god that god is the judge of truth he knows what he's doing I, I hate preaching that. <laughs> and I'm not preaching it. I'm just telling you what the Torah says because it's such a difficult statement. It's, it's it, Academically, it's fun to talk about. You know the story of the guy who was... Um, this There was a rabbi who had a part-time business where he would basically import wood from the forest to the town by way of the river. You, you know, he had a whole company. People would chop down wood. They would load it on the rafts. They would get down to the river. And he would also, you know, that was his part-time business. He would teach part-time in the yeshiva, the rabbinical school. One of his rafts sunk. He lost a lot of wood. It's a lot of money. And that was going to put him in the red. And his employees didn't know how to break it to him. So they went to the local yeshiva where he taught at, and they told the students, you guys are wise guys, aspiring rabbinical students. Why don't you find a creative way to break the news to him? Because we don't have the guts to do it. Rabbi comes to class and they said, Rabbi, we have a question for you. Is it true that you're supposed to praise God for the bad, just like you praise him for the good? <laughs> and he says, certainly, that's what the Talmud says. And they said, Rabbi, we don't understand. How are you supposed to do that? And he starts giving the whole spiel of how God knows what he's doing and everything is for your own good. And God, you just doesn't always look at it. It doesn't always seem that way. And... They say, so Rabbi, if we were to tell you that something tragic happened to you, like you were going to lose a lot of money or something, for example, random example, you'd start dancing? He says, yeah, of course. That's what the Talmud says. They said, Rabbi, start dancing. <laughs> what? <laughs> they, they tell him the news, and of course, he passes out. It's so much easier to, to, to preach um, this thing than it is to actually live in. But King David was able to, King David who wrote the Tillam, 
And as you could see throughout the Tehillim, David had a very difficult life and was on the run for much of his life, was able to do it, to praise God, even when he felt he was being disciplined by God. Hallelujah, the next one, second line. Hallelujah, praise him, Kurov Gudlo, his abundant greatness, that refers to kindness. Greatness is associated, especially in Kabbalistic lingo, with kindness. When God is being kind, also praise him. Sometimes it's hard to praise God when he's being a disciplinarian. And sometimes it's hard to praise God when he's being kind. Because everything is good. Why would I praise him? <laughs> Why, what do I need a, What do I need God for? Everything, life is good. <laughs> when life is bad, I need God. But what we see here is the value of consistency. Right? We've got to be consistent in our relationship with God. The greatest indication that our relationship is real, and our relationship is always real, but the, the greatest relationship is that, that it's real to us, is that it's not just a fallback of, in times of tragedy, but it's it's real across the board. It's true across the board. right? Is, for something to be emmet, it has to be consistent. So praise God when he's being a disciplinarian. Praise God when he's being good to us. You know where you see this, by the way, in the Shema. We say the Shema in the morning, we say the Shema in the evening. When it's light out, you're inspired. We recognize that God is one. And when it's dark out and we're confused and, and perplexed, we say God is one. We say the Shema in the morning and in the evening. When we're spiritually enlightened and when we're feeling that we're spiritually in the dark. Similarly, over here, praise God in his strength, praise God in his kindness. When he's acting with strength, when he's acting with discipline, when he's acting with kindness, find the courage and, and muster up that strength to praise him. Line number three. If anybody has a questions along the way, feel free to, or, or comments, controversy, feel free to interject. Line number three, hallelujah, praise him, but take a shofar when you blow the shofar. Hallelujah, praise him, but Nevel the Chinor, with the harp and the lyre. What do these two instruments have in common? Well, let's take a step back. When you think when you hear the shofar, what emotion does that invoke? Evoke or invoke? Evoke. It's like crying. Crying, right? There's a the shofar is powerful. It's a wake up call. But it's there is a somberness to it. As Hasidim, we stress the joy to it, but but, it's, but it is. It is a somberness. There is a seriousness to it. It's the cry of the soul. It it, it evokes reverence. And that's kind of what the harp is. Think about different instruments. You know, it's not a, it's not a fast beat like a drum. You know, it's not going to, you're not going to dance to a harp music. The music that comes from a harp, for the most part. I, I don't. I mean, I don't listen to much harp, but I would think you don't dance too much to the harp, just like you don't dance to the shofar. It evokes emotion, but it's but it is a somber of emotions. Conversely, take a look at the next line. Hallelujah, praise him with timbrel, besof, umachol, and dancing. What is timbrel? To drum, I think. 
The drum? Right. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Hallelujah, who prays in with stringed instruments and a flute. What what type of emotion do those evoke? Invoke. Made a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more joyous. So there's certain instruments that invoke a more somber, reverent feeling. There's a more there's certain instruments that invoke more dancing and and more of a a joyous feeling. Where we praise God in the good times and in the better times. When we're feeling good and confident and excited about Judaism and excited about our identity, our heritage, and when we're going through a rough time. Both sides of the spectrum, light and dark, we got to praise God both at both times. The next one, hallelujah, praise him. Shama with resounding symbols and ah praise him with clanging symbols. Tzilzile are symbols. It's different types of sounds, I guess, that symbols can produce. And sometimes you produce a sound that kind of evokes that same excitement and burst of energy. And sometimes the sound is going to evoke more of a somber feeling. Less of a joyous feeling, but more of a somber feeling. Right? There's this duality that we're going to back and forth. That King David is slinging us back and forth to. Praise him when things are good. Praise him when things aren't. When you're inspired and when you're not. When you're feeling joyous, when you're feeling somber, when you're feeling like you're in love. When you're feeling that you're more reverent. You know, in, in, in the Tanya, in chapter 40, 41, we talk about developing reverence for God and love with for God, the difference between the two. They're both necessary. And how a relationship cannot survive with just love. You can't survive with just reverence. You need both. It's like two words, two two uh, wings for the bird, as the Zohar refers to it. If a relationship just has love, no reverence, it's true of a relationship with anybody, but especially with God. If you don't respect somebody in a relationship, but you just love them, then who do you really love? Yourself. Because when are you going to praise God if we love him? When we're in love. So now it's about how I feel. When I'm feeling it, I'm going to praise God. But if I respect God, I'm reverent of God. So even when I'm not feeling in love, or in passion, or excited, I'm going through a hard time. I revere him, and I'm, I'm going to praise him. But the, the theme here is Consistency. Our relationship with God needs consistency. If you look throughout the book of Tehillim, throughout the book of Psalms, King David had a very inconsistent life. Several people wanted to kill him. He was always on the run. But there was one thing that was consistent. His praise for God. He always felt that God was with him. The good times, the bad times, the better times. 
And that's why, take a look at the last line. The last line is repeated twice. Every soul. Praises God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Every soul praises God. And our sages, the Talmud says, quotes the sages saying that the word neshama, which means soul, comes from the Hebrew word neshima, which means breath. We praise God with each breath. Every single breath we take, we praise God. Sometimes that breath is a breath of anxiety, a breath of fear, a breath of sadness, a breath of reverence. Sometimes it's a breath of love, a breath of joy, a breath of excitement, a breath of passion, a breath of inspiration. Depending on what we're breathing in that day, <laughs> depending on what our environment is that day. But the one thing that stays consistent is that each breath we take praises God. Each breath we take is the, how did the soul get into us in the first place? It was breathed. God, right out in contrast to the rest of creation, creation was normally created through speech. So God created God said, let there be light. There was light. God said, let... everything was created through speech, which is right off the tongue. When it came to the creation of man, Adam and Eve, God formed them to the, the earth and blew into them a soul of life. It wasn't through speech. It was through breath. The Kabbalists explain, we know this from Tanya chapter 2, that the soul comes from a much deeper place than the rest of creation. Creation comes from right off the tongue. Breath. But you could... You could talk for hours and hours, especially if you're a rabbi. You could talk for okay. You could talk for hours and hours and hours. You can't breathe out, exhale for hours and hours because it's too deep. It's coming from a much deeper place inside. Every single breath we take, every single moment of life, as long as we have that soul, that breath of life, we praise God. Okay, that that's that's all I got. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.